0: Welcome to the Exam Room Podcast brought to you by the Physicians Committee. I am the weight loss champion, Chuck Carroll, and this is a momentous broadcast. This is the first time we're streaming The Exam Room live on Facebook. You know, the podcast already downloaded hundreds of thousands of times on iTunes, Spotify, etc. But we are thrilled to be here doing a Facebook live stream today. So thank you very much for joining us. And for this big one, this huge, ginormous topic, it's one that can help virtually everyone. Today, we're talking about foods that can help fight cancer. And a leading expert on all of this is Dr. Neil Barnard, my man. Thank you so much for being here today. Thank you, Chuck. Glad to be here. Now, before we get rolling, I should say that if you have any questions that you would like to ask, I encourage you to just leave them in the comments section below. We will be having a little bit of Q&A in just a little while. But let's just dive right into this, you know, because there are an estimated 1.7 million new cases of cancer that will be diagnosed in the U.S. alone this year. And my question to you is this, very simply, how big of a role does diet play when it comes to cancer?
1: Well, you know, historically, people have thought food wouldn't matter. It's genetic, or it's bad luck, or you're you got some, some genetic mutation from a chemical you were exposed to. But the reason that we know it's food, uh, that, that it's, it plays a huge role, is that if it were just genetics, cancer rates really wouldn't change because genes don't change much over time. But cancer rates have changed, and they've changed rapidly. Um, when Japan started westernizing its diet, it started really in the 60s, but then particularly in the 1980s around there. Uh, fast food came in, meat came in, milk came in, uh, rice went out. A plant-based diet started to be more of a meat-based diet. And cancer rates just went, went up, particularly breast cancer, but some others as well. We've seen a similar rise in this country whenever diet is changing. So the way it shakes out um, is that genes do play a role, probably a few percent, way mm. less than 1 in 10 cancers is genetic. Uh, Tobacco plays a big role, but luckily that's starting to to change because um, people have been quitting smoking quite progressively, although it's still a big factor. But uh, what that really leaves is food. Uh, And I would suggest that if we could wave a magic wand and have everybody really on a healthy diet, we could prevent the majority of cancers, uh, the vast majority of cancers. We're not going to prevent them all uh, because you can be on a good diet and still have Still, it can still happen, but we can greatly reduce the risk.
0: Now, sticking with food here, is it more of a matter of what you don't eat versus what you do eat?
1: Ah, um, great question, and it's, the answer is both. Um, there are certain things that, that cause the cancer. There are certain things on our plate that can help prevent it. I'll give you an example. Um, on the preventive side of things, uh, researchers learned a long time ago that take a tomato, that red color very pretty but it's lycopene l-y-c-o-p-e-n-e lycopene it's a an antioxidant and men who consume the most tomatoes have a dramatic reduction in their prostate cancer risk why because the red lycopene knocks out the free radicals that could otherwise cause genetic mutations leading to cancer uh beta carotene the orange color and i don't mean beta carotene in a pill i mean in a carrot <laughs> right or, or, or in a sweet potato right uh, something like that um also reduces cancer risk. Uh, vegetables and fruits in general do. Fiber, which is the roughage in vegetables and beans and fruits and whole grains, reduces the risk of colorectal cancer. But there are plenty of things that increase the risk of cancer that are not protective at all. Meat and dairy are right at the top of that list.
0: Yeah. It, it, is processed meat in particular like the primary offender because we know that the world health organization has come out and said this is a big time carcinogen you probably shouldn't be eating this
1: yeah uh with processed meat which by the way is hot dogs bacon sausage ham the deli slices like bologna or salami um yes they they are major contributors to cancer but the, but the, the reason they have been singled out isn't so much that they're necessarily bigger contributors or contributors to more cancer than other foods, but because the evidence is so strong. The jury came in a long time ago, <laughs> and the jury was unanimous we have so ma- we have dozens and dozens of studies. That show that these foods cause cancer, particularly colorectal cancer. And the reason we're concerned about that is that the rates are rising in young people. There there are other cancers where we're making some progress. Mm-hmm. This one, we're losing ground. And it's not that kids are changing in, in some physical way. It's that bacon is a fad. And, and and kids are served bacon at home by their well-meaning parents. Or they're served it in schools or other places. And bacon, sausage, ham, uh, they pick it up at the fast food place. Um... And uh, this disease, just that disease, colorectal cancer, kills about 50,000 people in America only mm. uh, every year. Mm. And the rates among young people are going up, 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 up.
0: So you mentioned these foods, and one of the things that I'm thinking is uh, these are all high-fat foods. And so naturally I'm starting to wonder then, is there a link between fat consumption and cancer as well? For
1: a couple of things. Yeah, yeah the, the big themes really are when we look at hormone-related cancers – Uh, For men, that's prostate or testicular cancer. For Mm -hmm. women, that's breast cancer, uterine cancer, ovarian cancer. Those are hormone-related cancers, meaning they are driven by hormones. um, And food affects the hormones. And then the other big category is the digestive cancers. That's where colorectal cancer comes in. The foods are hitting the digestive tract. Those are the two big categories where food plays an especially big role. But what about fat? Uh, Let's say you're eating fatty foods. Fatty foods cause weight gain because they're the most calorie-dense foods there are. And the more body fat you have, uh, the higher your, your cancer risk. And we think of body fat. You know, it's it's just a little balloon filled with fat. No, fat is actively working. It's it, Body fat in a woman's body is making estrogen, the female sex hormone. That drives her cancer risk. And the same is true in men. A man accumulates some body fat, he may get some breast tissue, breast development. Right. And that's not just fat. That's actually breast tissue because every one of those fat cells on his body is producing female sex hormones, estrogens.
0: Interesting. I think that a lot of people associate obesity with heart-related ailments. And I think that there's still a lot of ground to be made as far as the link between obesity, being overweight, with cancer. So I'm really glad that we're um, discussing that.
1: Very important. And, and people are right. Um, overweight increases the risk of heart problems. It in, It's increases blood pressure. It increases cholesterol a little bit. All that's really rough on your heart. But uh, when you look at women who are overweight, their risk of postmenopausal breast cancer goes way up. For some reason, that has never been clear for the cancers that arrive before the age of menopause. They're actually not pushed by overweight at all. Um, In fact, overweight young women are somewhat less likely to develop premenopausal breast cancer. But the great bulk of breast cancers are postmenopausal and the heavier a woman gets, the higher her risk.
0: Interesting. I want to go back. You mentioned fiber a few minutes ago, and that seems to be, we're talking about cancer-fighting foods. It seems to be that fiber here is going to be a key ingredient in helping to lower your risk of of Mm -hmm. developing a cancer as well.
1: Yeah. And and part of that is because high-fiber foods fill you up without any calories, so people who eat more fiber-rich foods slim down. Good, good. But fiber does more. Fiber, meaning the roughage in vegetables or beans, it's in your digestive tract. And as it goes down your digestive tract, it does something very nice. Um, Your liver is filtering your blood. And it finds excess estrogens and sends them through the bile duct into the intestinal tract. And fiber takes those estrogens and says, I'll take it from here. Mm -hmm. And brings them out with the waste, And helps reduce a woman's estrogen level. She's still a woman. She still has adequate sex hormones for... To have a normal cycle and everything else, but she doesn't have that excess, and that's going to help prevent cancer. Interesting. At least that's what that's what all the evidence suggests.
0: So, if uh, let's go back to men, uh, if a man is eating a diet that is low in fiber, lots of lots of meat, mm-hmm. lots of uh, you know just unhealthy foods, shall we say, because there isn't that fiber and it can't get pushed through, is that. Y- y- we're talking then about colon cancer. Is it because that those hormones and that stuff can't get pushed out of the colon? And that's kind of why we're seeing colon cancer develop? Um,
1: High-fiber foods escort all the intestinal contents along much quicker. Right. So if there's a happens to be a carcinogen in what you've eaten, the fiber helps carry it away quicker. So instead of having a transit time of 48 hours for something to get out of your intestinal tract, mm-hmm. you know, maybe 20 hours. Right. Something like that. So, so that's the first thing. Second thing is that fiber changes... The bacteria in your digestive tract. The more healthy fiber you have, the healthier the bacteria are. And if you don't have a high fiber diet, you have sort of maladjusted bacteria that's the microbiome mm-hmm. um, that then turn your digestive juices into carcinogenic compounds. So fiber is uh, healthy in, in all of those ways.
0: Well, let's put a number on that. I know that you are a fiber fan based off of your previous appearances mm-hmm. here on the exam room. How much fiber should we be getting in a day?
1: Well, your average American right now, if if you went downstairs here and just grabbed people off the sidewalk, uh, they might be getting between 10 and 15 grams a day. They should be doubling that, Mm. 20 to 30 to 40, um, something like that. 20 is not really enough. I I would aim for about 40. Uh, And you will see in some countries what people – Called developing countries, except that their diets are better than ours, um, they're having high-fiber foods. They could be getting 50 or 60 grams of fiber a day.
0: Sure. And I, I think that one of the things that, especially if somebody goes through one of our immersion programs here at the Physicians Committee or the 21-Day Vegan Kickstart, is they kind of start to realize how easy it is to get more fiber in your diet when you're eating that that plant-based diet. You're a doctor. I'm sure that you've worked with patients and certainly seeing people here at the Physicians Committee or upstairs at the Barnard Medical Center. You have to see that oh, wow moment that's really special and has to be gratifying for you as a physician. Well, you know,
1: you don't have to go to the store and get a fiber supplement. You know, I know they're advertised all the time, but people do at some point discover, wait a minute, it's not on the shelf of the drugstore. Drug it's at the grocery store in the produce aisle. Uh, or in the bean aisle or the whole grain aisle or the fruit aisle, whatever it is, um, fiber is a normal part of the foods that our bodies are designed for. So if you're getting vegetables and fruits and whole grains and beans and they're making up your diet, you'll, you'll get all the fiber you need.
0: Well, let's talk about this uh, as this is the cancer-fighting food uh, segment here. Uh, what are some of your favorite high-fiber foods? Like if, if somebody came to you and said, Dr. Barnard, I need more fiber in right. my life. What should I be eating?
1: Um, well, top top of the list is the neglected humble bean. Beans. Beans it, just one serving of bean has about seven grams of fiber. So, if you're, you're talking about aiming for thirty or forty, um, they're going to be your biggest friend. And in fact, that's a little bit why they can cause gas for some people. So, mm-hmm. make sure you cook them well. <laughs> um, and and if you're new to all of this, start small. It, it will take your body will adapt right. to it. So, you're not going to have gas forever. Um, number two on the list. Uh, beans are 7 grams per serving. Uh, at about 4 grams per serving are vegetables. Typical vegetables have about 4 grams. Uh, typical fruits, like an apple or an orange, about 3. So those are the big guys. Um, people think, well, it's got to be my high-fiber bread or cereal. That's actually nearer the bottom of the list. Really? Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. E- even the, the fortified ones?
1: Well, you, you, if they dump in fiber, they, right. can, they can add it t- to whatever they want. But, but typically, the, the whole grain cereals are not as high in fiber as our friend the bean. So I want to cheerlead for beans they got protein. they got calcium. They've got fiber, soluble and insoluble.
2: Yeah.
1: They have iron. They do. They've got all kinds of good things. Y- you know what I like most They about? don't have a good lobby group.
0: Well, I think that you should start that. I mean, we have three <laughs> other people in this room right now. We have the muscle here. We can start lobbying. We can.
1: Beans are healthy food.
0: But y- you know what I like most about beans? And this is just straight wacky. I love the other name for beans, legume. That's just such a, a fun word to say. Yes. Say it. You, it's impossible to say legume without smiling. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, legumes are healthy. And I want to say that in many other cultures, in fact, just about every culture other than the United States, mm-hmm. beans are consumed still. They're a big part of the diet, even breakfast. An American goes to England, and they, they go down to the breakfast bar in the hotel, and they discover there's a big pot of baked beans. Which you think, wait, isn't that lunch? Uh-uh. They have it for breakfast. Same in Australia. If you go to uh, the Yucatan Peninsula, like Cancun and whatever, black beans for breakfast every day. Hmm. It's absolutely routine. And uh, are, You know, the Americans are having steak and eggs, but the locals are having beans with salsa.
0: Are then we seeing a lower prevalence of cancer cases in those other countries?
1: If those foods are consumed, yes. Um, but those those foods are are rapidly getting neglected. This is what we saw in Japan. Japan eats legumes, but it's soybeans, uh-huh. black beans in Mexico, uh, maybe pinto beans in in uh, in some parts of Latin America, um, navy beans in England, soybeans in Japan, and then soybean products like tempeh or tofu, and they are consumed hugely. But with westernization, it's more meat and more dairy.
0: Gotcha. And we have talked a lot about meat, but let's, let's talk about the link between dairy and cancer because that's equally as strong as meat, processed meat.
1: Uh, perhaps even higher for certain cancers. With regard to prostate cancer, there have been several studies. And, and it started out with just an observation. Dairy-consuming countries like Finland or Sweden or Norway or the United States had a lot more prostate cancer than, say, Japan, which dairy is not a traditional part of the Japanese diet. And then the second piece of evidence was when dairy started coming in, prostate cancer rates started going up. So researchers at Harvard did a couple of big studies. The Physicians Health Study was one. About 21,000 physicians. And the men who drank the most milk had 34% higher prostate cancer risk than the men who avoided it. Mm. And they did another study, the Health Professionals Follow-Up Study. The big dairy consumers had 60% more prostate cancer. And what we think is happening is that when a man consumes milk, it does something in his blood that's the same as what it does in the blood of a calf who's drinking milk from from her mom right when a man drinks milk something called igf1 is formed in the blood insulin like growth factor and this is i'm not saying it's coming from the milk it's when you drink the milk your body your body makes it because of the sugars and the proteins in the milk your body starts making this and igf1 is a cancer promoter
0: interesting very interesting. Mm. And I assume then cheese goes right along with that.
1: All the dairy products. All go along. of it. All, Yeah, they all go along with it.
0: Um, so we've talked about, I, I want to dive in specifically to men. We've talked about the link between prostate cancer, colorectal cancer, and diet. Uh, then meat and dairy, the two foods most associated with it. And we talked about already, we kind of glossed over the foods that help prevent cancer or at least lower the risk. Are there any specifically that have been tied to either prostate or colorectal cancer?
1: With regard to, to protection, I already mentioned tomatoes and and it's a funny thing. Um, when researchers have looked at protective foods, tomatoes came right up and and it turned out that it can be any kind of tomatoes. It can be raw tomatoes, it can be cooked tomatoes, it can be spaghetti sauce, mm. it can be salsa, it can be ketchup. It's, I'm not saying that they're all equally healthy, but what I'm saying is they all have lycopene, and they are all associated with a reduction in the risk of getting cancer. For men who have prostate cancer, Dean Ornish, who did such a wonderful thing by showing that you could reverse heart disease, did a study on men who had prostate cancer, and he put them on, half of the men on a vegan diet. And the men who did not go on the vegan diet continued to progress. They continued to get worse. Uh, you do a blood test called PSA prostate-specific antigen. And the men who did not go vegan, on average, their PSA went up about 6% over a year. That's that's what cancer does. Mm. The men on the vegan diet, uh, over a year, their PSA, on average, did not rise. It actually fell about 4%, um, meaning that I, I don't think anyone should just rely on diet and never have tests and never have any kind of treatment. Sure. But you're going to eat. And we should eat the foods that are protective and a vegan diet means you're not getting any dairy that's good right you're not getting any meat that's good you're getting vegetables and fruits and whole grains and beans which are very low in fat very high in fiber very high in the natural phytochemicals that help you to tackle cancer
0: and i think that it should be noted that a lot of people may not realize that in meat in dairy there's how much fiber Mm
1: Right. Um, it's not a plant. <laughs> Meat is not a plant. Chicken is not a plant. Wild-caught salmon is not a plant. So it does not have any fiber at all. Goose egg. Right. Goose Zero. egg. Exactly. And, you know, it's been troubling. When, when researchers have tried to, to figure out what is going on, they've tracked consumption of these foods. And it's very clear that the more you are on a meaty diet, the higher your, your risk of several forms of cancer. Mm.
0: Uh, let's uh, we, we talked about the men now let 's let 's talk about the women uh, breast cancer, ovarian cancer uterine cancer let 's talk about foods that can help lower the risk there. A woman comes to you she wants to lower the risk. What foods do you prescribe?
1: okay um, first of all, part of the value of a plant based diet is that it helps people control body weight and and here for breast cancer, body weight is really important because as I mentioned earlier, every fat cell is busily making estrogens. Right. That causes cancer. So if a woman has a lower body weight, she's going to be healthier. And surprisingly enough, even gradations of weight within what we would consider the healthy range seem to affect cancer risk and cancer progression. So let's say a healthy body mass index, which, by the way, you can go online and just look at a BMI calculator. Right. You put in your height and your weight, and it'll tell you what your BMI is. And a healthy body mass index is between 18.5 and 25. You want to be in there. But when you look at the women who are around 19, 20, 21, and you compare the women who are around 24, 25, they're all in what we would call the healthy range. But the ones at the lower end of that range tend to do somewhat better. Hmm. Um, and, and they do—they also do better with regard to fertility, oddly enough. All the, the hormone-related things are better when you're a little bit leaner. Now, I don't mean... I don't mean, because it's possible to have a very deficient diet and and be too skinny. Right. Um, You don't want it to be there either. Uh, But for breast cancer prevention, you want to be in the healthy range. And the heavier a woman is, the higher her risk of postmenopausal breast cancer.
0: Interesting. Uh, Real quick, just a reminder, if you have a question, go ahead and post that in the comments section below. Um, Up on our website, pcrm.org, there is a very fascinating uh, infographic that talks about uh, the link between cancer and nutrition and it kind of shows you the various foods that decrease your risk and then the foods that increase your risk and it says uh, average on average two glasses of milk will increase your risk of prostate cancer by 60%. And I want to ask you about this one because this one surprised me. Uh, A calcium supplement, 400 milligrams per day, uh, increases the risk of prostate cancer by 51%. Why is that?
1: You know, you think of a calcium supplement as being a good thing. It'll protect your bones. And if, let's say, a person has osteoporosis and it's part of a treatment program, okay, here's the deal. Um, Normally, and and fast your seatbelt, This this is there are a few steps in this right. few steps in this, <laughs> in this explanation. Um, vitamin D comes from sunlight on your skin right and vitamin D is your body uses it to absorb calcium from the foods you eat. Vitamin D has a completely separate benefit. it, it reduces cancer risk. So you get some sun, it's on your skin, uh, your vitamin D is, is uh, formed and that helps prevent cancer. All right, so let's say I have a couple glasses of milk or I have a calcium supplement. I'm getting a lot of calcium, probably too much. And the body says, wait a minute, you got all this calcium. You're, you're getting too much calcium. And so then it starts to, to stop the body's activation of vitamin D. Hmm. And so the sun hits your skin, but your body says, look, don't activate that. Because you're, if you do, you're going to be absorbing more and more calcium because of all that vitamin D. And then you lose the cancer prevention part of vitamin D, too. So the the, the point is calcium supplements and ca- ultra-high calcium foods, like dairy, will reduce vitamin D activity.
0: Interesting.
1: And then cancer is more likely. That's uh, a theory, but it's a good theory, and we have a lot of evidence supporting it.
0: I feel like I should unbuckle my seatbelt now. That, that was a nice ride you just took yeah, us on. Yeah,
1: I, I hope everyone stuck with us on that.
0: Yeah. Um, Okay, so if you're curious about this infographic we were referencing, that is up on the cancer resource section of PCRM.org. Search out, and I quote, applying the precautionary principle to nutrition and cancer lists out about a dozen foods and beverages there and shows you the, the links.
1: Can I give you one other? By all means. Um, a lot of people imagine, okay, Mediterranean diet, glass of red wine, that's going to be good for me. Mm-hmm. Because it's got something in it. What is that pigment? They're talking about resveratrol, you know. I mean, So people have read magazines like this. I think I should have that. I hate to tell everybody they've got to take off their party hat. Uh-oh. But alcohol increases the risk of several forms of cancer, particularly breast cancer. And there's not a threshold. Meaning, let's say a woman is not drinking at all. And she says, okay, uh, Mediterranean diet, I should have a glass of red wine every day. Her risk of breast cancer just went up. And if it's two glasses, it went up again. And if it's three, it started to, to be a serious contributor to her risk. Um, if she has just a glass every couple of days, mm-hmm. the added risk is not very much. But it's just dose response. The the less alcohol she has in her life, the better she's going to be. Fascinating.
0: A lot of people associate that red wine with a lot of health benefits. It's been pushed. We
1: see this so much. You know, somebody's got a commercial product they want to sell. Yeah. So they make it sound sexy and whatever. And and some people have said, you know, uh, red wine might reduce the risk of Alzheimer's or it might reduce the risk of heart disease. Maybe. But maybe it's not the alcohol. Maybe it's the constituents of the grape, like the anthocyanins that are the pigments. And so you can get those from grape juice just as you can from
0: How about that? Yep. All right. Uh, Question time. Uh, Gigi wants to know, there are all types of cancer in my family. Is it genetic?
1: Okay. uh, Great question. First of all, I'm sorry that uh, you've had this in your family, and I hope your family members are doing as well as as humanly possible. Uh, Some cancers can be genetic, and doctors can now do tests for certain genetic traits uh, that have come up for breast cancer and other forms of the disease. That said, we don't just give our kids DNA. We give them recipes. Mm-hmm. Um, so sometimes what runs through families are certain um, food traditions. And sometimes you look at the family, and the grandparents are overweight, and the kids are overweight, and everyone's overweight. And that's because of the way they're eating. And that, in turn, is 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 um, going to increase their cancer risk.
0: Another question here from Francis. Uh, this is an interesting one. Should we be concerned about the amount of sodium that are in frozen vegan dinners?
1: Um, well, it's not just vegan dinners. Um, Processed foods in general often have a lot of sodium in them, and it's purely for taste. They don't need them. Um, But whether it's vegan or non-vegan, you see it in many canned foods, and you see it in some uh, pre-prepared dinners. Um, It's not going to increase your cancer risk, but it will raise your blood pressure. Um, If blood pressure is not a big issue for you, I wouldn't worry too much about the higher sodium things. Uh, You want to keep your total sodium intake down below roughly 1500 or 2000 uh milligrams uh, per day so you can look at the label you can add it up and if you haven't hit that level you're going to be okay
0: great question here from sandra i really like this one should we be concerned with vegan processed meats
1: ah great question no um, uh uh-huh. <laughs> no um you're talking about the veggie dog correct or the veggie sausage correct no, no. um When processed meats were were shown to cause colorectal cancer, and they also contribute to other forms of the disease, the question was why. And part of the reason why may be the saturated fats. Part of the reason is the the carcinogens that form when they're cooked. Um, Part of the reason is heme iron, Mm -hmm. uh, which is in some of these. And for the most part, um, plant products don't have those carcinogens. Right. Um, uh, There is one product called the Impossible Burger, um, which has been marketed, and they've, they're they adding heme iron to it to, because they imagine that this causes a meaty taste. Um, it's also very, very high in um, coconut oil, um, so its saturated fat content is terribly high. Right. Um, apart from the Impossible Burger, though, um, which, which, by the way, I'm, I'm hoping that the manufacturers will take the heme out of it right. and get rid of the coconut fat because you can make it perfectly tasty veggie burger without that stuff sure uh, but the other the others really don't have those faults.
0: Uh, let me I'm sure that some people are wondering what's the difference between heme iron and regular iron?
1: Okay um, iron your body needs a certain amount of iron right um, And there's iron in green leafy vegetables and that will not hurt you. the iron that's that's in the plants um, and your body takes it and puts it into hemoglobin, Uh, which is what makes red cells red, and it escorts oxygen around. Um, There's also some of it in muscle tissue. And so heme iron is the iron that's with the heme molecule, which is a big molecule, um, and that is believed to be a contributor to colorectal cancer. So it's the iron that you get as part of the heme iron from muscle tissue that a person is eating.
0: All right, two more. Uh, So
1: so the iron that's in broccoli is not going to cause cancer.
0: Gotcha, gotcha. That's not heme iron. Right. Right. Uh, two more. Um, I think that uh, this is a good one. This one from Greg. Can you give some tips to reduce LDL cholesterol? All my other numbers are great. Okay.
1: Um, step one, go vegan. Um, if you're halfway vegan or or not vegan, now is the time to go all the way. Take about 90 days. No animal products at all. Not not, not an ounce of skinless chicken breast or a little salmon, just 100% vegan. Because when you do that, there is no animal fat and there's no cholesterol in your diet at all. Um, step two, keep oils really, really low. Um, don't add oils when you cook. Learn the non-oil cooking techniques. Um, and especially palm oil and coconut oil. Avoid them. They're poison. They will raise your cholesterol. Um, step three, uh, bring on the high-fiber foods, especially what's called soluble fiber. That's Oats. Uh also beans, very good. And now go through ninety days like that. Right. Get tested at the end. If your cholesterol level has not budged, then it's probably a genetic issue. Um for ninety percent of people their cholesterol goes through the floor um by, by with these steps. But but you'll know.
0: Alright. And let's let's end with a fun one. This is this may be my favorite. Uh Everett wants to know, Doctor Barnard, what's your favorite? Bean?
1: Uh, well I want to cheerlead for the whole group I have to say but but I have to tell you I grew up in Fargo, North Dakota and on Main Street in Fargo there's a restaurant called the Mexican Village and back in the 1970s when they opened up or 1960s even, I used to go in there and I had the jalapeno burrito Mm -hmm. which is filled with as many jalapenos as they can make it without being life threatening but the rest (laughs) was pinto beans that were very well cooked and if you leave off the cheese, it's completely vegan. has a vegan gravy. Delicious. And to this day, they still serve it. And there is no meal more delicious than that. Because all the beans, all the pintos, the pinto beans have vitamin P, and the jalapenos have vitamin J. And that's a joke, listeners. Okay. Hi-oh. <laughs>
0: okay. Waka-waka.
1: But if with, it, with enough vitamin P and vitamin J, you will live forever.
0: Outstanding. You, you like the spicy foods, huh? The jalapeno burrito.
1: It's delicious. Okay. Next, the Chuck. Next time you're in Fargo, come with me to the Mexican Village, okay? You you got a deal. You know,
0: I used to work at a burrito restaurant. That was my high school job, one of them.
1: Yes, but you know there's bad burritos, too. There's the chicken burritos and the beef burritos and the bacon burritos and all that stuff. Forget all that stuff. A traditional burrito is beans, maybe some rice, maybe not, a little bit of salsa, a few jalapenos in there. That's good for
0: Are we talking fresh jalapenos or the pickled jalapenos? Mm, I do the pickled ones.
1: The fresh ones can sometimes be a little life-threatening. And you don't need need many. You just cook one or two.
0: Yeah. Well, uh, I agree with you. This this has been a lot of fun. We need to do this again. Uh, The good news is, Dr. Barnard, that this show is available each and every week all over the place wherever podcasts are available. We're talking Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, you name it we're on it so go ahead look up the exam room by the physicians committee and if you would be so kind if we could just ask a little bitty favor if you could give us a five-star rating we would greatly greatly appreciate it you know uh hundreds of thousands of downloads already so we are just really really pumped up and excited to be taking it now to facebook to do this so
1: great i'm really hoping that everybody will hope not just learn themselves but pass this along to somebody else who might benefit.
0: Absolutely. So um, thank you so much for being here. And uh, now this podcast will be available shortly on uh, iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, all those places, and easily uh, helpful for you to, uh, to pass along to friends, family, whoever might benefit from all this information. Love it. Thank you, Chuck. Thank you, Dr. Barnard. Continuing here on the Exam Room Podcast, brought to you by the Physician's Committee, the weight loss champion, Chuck Carroll, still here with you in the show, as always, on social, starting with Twitter, at PCRM. Hop on Facebook, like the Physician's Committee, Instagram as well, and I'm at Chuck Carroll WLC. Once you get done following all of that stuff, I'm joined today by one of our international rotation med students up at the Barnard Medical Center, uh, Leo Venus. My man, you have quite the social following. I know your brother does as well, but don't sell yourself short here. <laughs> Hop on YouTube and search this guy out because it's, it's a real privilege to have you on the show today.
2: Well, thank you very much for having me. It's a privilege to be here.
0: Now let's uh, let's get some background on you. Uh, I believe you're going to school currently in Dublin.
2: Yes, Dublin, Ireland. That's correct. All
0: right, but but you've bounced around quite a bit. So yeah, g- give me give me the backstory here.
2: <laughs> sure. Okay. So it's it's a very long, confusing story. But basically, I was born in Oslo, in Norway, mm-hmm. and within a month after that, we moved to Brazil. So I lived in Brazil in Rio de Janeiro for seven years. Uh, you know, played a lot of soccer and went to the beach and all that kind of stuff. Um, But, you know, Brazil is a little bit unsafe. So with a family, we decided to move back to Europe. But through my father's job, we had to go to Connecticut first in the U.S. We lived there one year, and then we were back in Norway for two years. But the problem was once we got to Norway, you know, my mother being from Brazil, living in a tropical climate all her life, got to this place where it's dark and icy six months of the year, right? So that was a bit of a shock, and it wasn't really working too well. So after two years in Norway, that was enough. And uh, we decided to go to Barcelona, Spain. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, that's where they still live. So that's probably the best place for them. It's kind of a compromise between Norway and Brazil, you know. Yeah. Uh, so after five years there, my, my dad got a promotion where uh, we actually ended up going to Texas. So that's where I did my high school, finished high school in, in Texas, just north of Dallas, uh, a little place called Allen. Okay. And uh, after that, went back to Norway again for college, did my undergrad four years in Norway, um, in a little city called Olesun off the west coast, just south of Trondheim. And after that, I decided, okay, why not start med school? And that's when I went to Dublin, Ireland, and so I've been in Ireland three years, so it's a long, very confusing story, but... I would love to
0: see your passport. I'm sure that that <laughs> thing has been stamped to death.
2: Oh, yes. For <laughs> sure.
0: Um, so, how, how is med school here, World Traveler? How how's that been going?
2: Well, it's, it's very good. I mean, uh, as a plant-based, you know, uh, a follower of the plant-based diet, uh, there are a f- definitely a few things that are a bit frustrating with within medicine. Yeah. Uh, medicine is one of those fields that is very traditional and uh, slow to change or, or take new things, especially from uh, less mainstream ideas when it comes to, you know, preventative medicine and lifestyle. Right. So, there, there's definitely been a, a few frustrations in, in that regard, but it's, it's amazing. I mean, as a field, uh, being able to learn about the human body and how to treat disease and understanding the processes, I mean, I can't really think of uh, many more intimate things than being able to really know your, your physiology and your biology. So, I, I mean, I, I feel privileged to, to have the opportunity and, and hopefully, uh, you know, in the future to really start incorporating more preventative and, and true health. As a gym upstairs puts it, you know, yeah. healthcare rather than sick care.
0: Yeah, um, I had the opportunity to speak with a, another uh, future doctor who did a rotation up there at the BMC, and she was telling me that there was a serious lack, and it sounds like it's the same thing with you, a serious lack of nutritional education uh, in medical school over mm-hmm. there. And that's one of our big initiatives over here in the states because it's staggering yeah. how little. Uh, you guys are taught in med school, yeah, absolutely. and it sounds very much like that is the case with you. How much, if any, nutrition, you know, credit hours mm. <laughs> have you had?
2: Yeah, that's a great question. It's one of the first things I ever talk, I always talk about because you know most people. Assume doctors will know about nutrition being such an important factor in determining your health, rightly so, but it's just not the case, unfortunately. And a lot of people think, well, nowadays I'm sure they get more nutrition. Back in the day, they probably didn't, but nowadays I'm sure it's better. But as a present day medical student in in Ireland, I can tell you we had maybe two or three days where we even had any lectures at all. Mm -hmm. And it was the very, very basic. So, in terms of how many calories per gram of protein, carbohydrates, fats, uh, you know, we we got taught the food pyramid from 1992. Believe it or not, yeah. so a little bit outdated there. <laughs> just just a skosh. Yeah. yeah. So so you know, it's it's not um, very up to date, and it's definitely not very detailed. It's the kind of thing you'd expect that you'd learn in a health class in high school or something. Right.
0: It, what were your expectations going into med school? Were you expecting a little bit more on that, or were you kind of prepared mentally, like, hey, I'm probably not going to hear a whole lot about a plant based diet.
2: Yeah, I mean, I definitely was prepared that it wasn't going to be optimal, but even so, I was a little bit disappointed. You know, I was expecting a little bit more um, in terms of just the depth that would go into it and the expertise of the the lecturers and, and, and doctors in general as well. I mean, I've talked to so many doctors in hospitals and lecturers, and I've gotten all the same comments that you get from regular people on the streets. You know, where do you get your protein without it? Where do you get your calcium without milk? Where do you get omega-3s without fish? Carbs make you fat. I've even had... Uh, one fa- fellow medical student tell me when we're discussing low fiber diets and the link with red meat and colorectal cancer, and he told me, well, red meat, uh, red meat is full of fiber. It's pure muscle fiber, oh, you know? Wow. And, and, and at first, I thought he was joking, so I, I was looking at his face, but oh, dead serious, so you know, that just goes to show you how how little nutritional knowledge a lot of medical students and, and professional doctors out there really have. So what brought
0: you here? how did you find out about the Physicians Committee? And actually, what started you on this whole plant-based diet? Because it takes a special kind of person to seek out the type of education that you are.
2: Yeah. So, so it was kind of a random thing for me, really. I was never really interested in, in vegetarianism or veganism or anything like that. I just happened to meet a person who was getting into the vegan lifestyle and at that time i had never heard of it before Mm -hmm. but i was already uh studying bioengineering in norway so i was already into uh research papers scientific literature statistical analysis and all that kind of stuff so when i heard about it i saw a few documentaries and i thought well if this is really true this you know this deserves another look at it i need to look into this so I, i started reading research papers uh, on the topic, and the more I read, the less I could ignore this. You know, yeah. because at first you think, okay, this is just uh, not that to say this is a less important reason to to go on a plant based lifestyle, but you think, okay, this is a ethical movement. This is, you know like the stereotype the the hippies who just love life love animals love <laughs> right. the planet right. but the, no there was a lot of science behind it and the, it was good science and i was looking for, obviously i was biased against veganism growing up in brazil eating lots of meat oh, barbecue yeah. on saturdays was almost a holy event for <laughs> us you know but uh, so i was uh, even looking for science to to confirm that, right. that I, I needed meat and to confirm that I needed animal products, but the objective scientist in me couldn't help but see that the research was pointing me in the other direction and that the plant-based lifestyle was in fact the better way to go for your health. So once I saw that, you know, I couldn't ignore it. To my, I couldn't ignore it anymore. So I decided to try it out. And at first, I thought, okay, a few months in, I'll probably give up. I won't. It won't. I won't make it because meat was my favorite food. Steak, you know, as, uh, as as a half Brazilian was again like almost religious. Oh yeah. So I, I went on it for a few months and I was just surprised over how how easy it actually was. You know, mm. I I didn't have cravings, I felt better, my energy was better, I could train more and have less soreness, I recovered faster. So after that I just, you know, kept going, but that, this was for the first year it was mostly a health thing, right? I was I was vegan on an everyday or not even vegan, I don't like using that term from a health perspective. I said whole foods plant-based on my everyday sure. life. But then if I was in a special occasion or, you know, a party or anything and somebody served me cheese, milk, meat, I would still have that. Right. Uh, But maybe a year after doing this on a day-to-day basis on a plant-based diet, then I also stumbled across more of the environmental and the ethical side of things. And once I really got into that, that's when I completely went
0: 100%. I would say that that type of medicine, the plant-based medicine, preventative medicine, is – just starting to bud here all right mm. we we got plenty of room to bloom how is it over in dublin how is it in spain how how is it in brazil is it yeah. still you know part in the pun is it still a foreign concept
2: <laughs> yeah th- so that's a great question i mean it's 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 different for for every qu- for sorry for every country but uh in europe it's it's definitely starting to pick up spain is probably one of the worst off in in europe um the big cities will have a lot of uh, restaurants and grocery options, but in terms of percentages, I think we're still under 1% in mm, Spain, mm. while here it's, I believe, 6% according to the latest st- statistics. Um, in Brazil, actually, it's grown a lot just in the last year because uh, one of our biggest celebrities in Brazil recently went vegan, and she has millions and millions and millions of followers. And this is just one of those examples where I really see the power of, of celebrities and the use of the responsibility you have when you have that many following, yeah, uh, that much of a following, and it's just nice to see them use that power in a, in such a positive way. So, actually, veganism in, in Brazil has uh, definitely bloomed, uh, or or boomed, sorry, a lot in this year. Um, but again, I'm not sure exactly about the statistics. It still has a long way yeah. to go in sure, terms of sure, the sure, the, sure. the meat culture is still huge over there. But yeah, I think it's it's just a trend everywhere really because of the fact that we have. Social media, we have internet and information so easily spread and shared all across the world. So yeah. There's definitely vegans everywhere nowadays. Yeah. Even, you know, Eastern Europe or or argentina or brazil these places which are really like heavy meat uh, meat-based cultures yeah. you'll find vegans everywhere you know we're we're starting to sprout out in in all corners really you know that's that's a good thing man
0: i, I want to talk about those meat-based cultures because when you when you mention you know barbecues being kind of a holy experience growing up for you when i was still 420 pounds back here um, oh wow i didn't know you have to
2: tell me more oh, about that oh yeah, then, yeah. We, we'll, we'll get
0: into that <laughs> We have things here, and I'm sure it's just been Americanized to death, but they're called Brazilian steakhouses. Mm. And you go, and literally, it's all-you-can-eat meat, and they give you this little stand, and it's red light, green light. If you put the green light up, they're bringing you meat, and they're going to keep bringing it to you. And then you can put the red light up and say, oh, I've had enough. But I used to go there, and, man, I mean, I would – I felt like I probably ate – 10, 15 pounds of you know pork and beef and chicken and whatever it was yeah. that they were serving that day. The way I felt leaving, though, got awful. Like, yeah. you want to talk about sluggish. I could barely move. It, it was horrible. Yeah. Do, do you remember having that experience as well?
2: Oh, yeah, absolutely. You're, you're touching on a soft spot in my heart right now because this, <laughs> this used to be, embarrassingly enough, we used to be my very favorite restaurants in Brazil. This is where this... Um, concept of having the, the meat coming served to you comes from it's it's actually very normal did they there. have the red light green light exactly over? yeah
0: that, oh I thought that that was just an American no, twist no no so
2: in, in Brazil all the barbecue restaurants you go to actually have that where you have a buffet you can go get veggies you can go get beans rice all that kind of stuff but usually people will just get a little bit of that in the first plate right and from the first plate on, it's just going to be more and more meat pounded onto your plate. Wow. And, you know, I used to get so excited every time I was going to go to this restaurant mm-hmm. because, like, it's one of those experiences where you're like, oh, yeah, it's my favorite food, and, you know, I live for this. You know how people say I live to eat. But the, the experience is, okay, you have short satisfaction while you're sitting there, but like you said, you feel awful afterwards. Yeah. You, can't, you can barely move, and it lasts for hours and hours and hours. It's not just the feeling of being full. But it's just the sluggishness afterwards for hours that really gets to you. And uh, for me, one of the things I noticed as well is I used to do a lot of uh, soccer playing before when I was younger. And after days like that where I would have a very meat-heavy meal, it would take me a lot longer to recover. And Mm -hmm. even the day after, sometimes if I had a a soccer match, my my digestive system would, would go crazy. And I would have stomach aches and I would feel terrible. I would get nauseous and, yeah. and it was just a bad experience overall. So, yeah, it's it's definitely a thing in Brazil and it's one of the most popular kind of uh, types of restaurants there still. But, uh, <laughs> you know, hopefully if, if we get more information out there, we can uh, slowly change yeah. that culture yeah. away from that, you know.
0: It's so funny to me that, I mean, this is just a, a universal thing. I don't care what corner of the earth you're on. It's the same thing. People live to eat, and they have those go-to foods. But when they do eat it, they feel so horribly afterward, Mm. and yet we, as a society, tend to just keep going back and doing it over and over and over again. And to me, my, my big thing when I was 400 pounds was that I was addicted to food, and I think that that is a big part of it. You know, Mm. I don't think that whatever the drug of choice is, whether it's food or narcotic, anybody feels great after they eat something or ingest something that isn't healthy for them. But it's that addiction that fuels that drive to go ahead.
2: Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I I completely agree. I mean, the the whole uh, living to eat mentality. I mean, I'd rather be able to enjoy my life outside of those short window periods of Mm. time where you're actually eating Mm -hmm. and and actually be able to enjoy all the time otherwise and just limit your happiness and limit your well-being to those short windows. I mean, it makes no sense. And that's the number one thing that's wrong with that mentality. The second thing is that you're not really limiting yourself to bad foods or foods that you don't enjoy you can still enjoy healthy foods there's yeah. this misconception that if you eat healthy you're going to eat boring but there are tons of super delicious meals mm-hmm. that are so healthy and you can feel good for the rest of the day too so you can enjoy the meal and the rest of the day so that's you get the best of both worlds you know
0: so uh what's your, what's your holy eating experience now you know it's not barbecue anymore what's your go-to
2: well, I do do a lot of curries and a lot of um, lentils, beans, and things like that. Okay. You know, I still do a lot of black beans, which is a staple in Brazil. So rice with black beans, sure. just instead of having any meat in there, I'll just sometimes just have tofu or just black beans with garlic. And, and laurel leaves is something we use to really get the the taste in there. So that's for sure one of my favorite meals still. Uh, other than that, obviously, a lot of whole uh, vegetables, whole grains. Sure. Uh, fruits, you know, snack on fruits. Sometimes I throw fruits in the salads and smoothies. I mean, like I'm, I'm addicted to my, my blender is, is my best friend nowadays. Yeah, you, you have know? the Vitamix. Uh, I, I, I've only been using the Vitamix here at the Barnum uh, Baker House, uh-huh. uh, but I do have a similar one in, in Europe. There, it's almost like the counterpart in in Europe called the NutriBullet. uh uh-huh. But it's this kind of same uh, principle. The only yeah. thing there is the, the blender. You kind of s- spin it upside down so the cup actually attaches to the blender and then you I spin it upside know what down. Yeah, you're talking about. Yeah, y- And yeah. then you press it down on the blender and it just spins, yeah.
0: Yeah. Good stuff, man. That Vitamix though, I always say you can oh, blend yeah. a bowling ball in oh, that yeah, thing. For like, sure it's, it's crazy.
2: Yeah, the first time I used that, I noticed straight away as soon as I turned the power on, button, I was like, "Whoa, right. this is different." <laughs> right, right.
0: So here's the thing, man. Um if you are listening to this, you need to hop on our YouTube channel and, and watch this segment as well because you you are a very athletic individual and i'll be honest i'm not going to let my wife anywhere near you because you're you're an attractive man um thank you so clearly you know going back to that myth about oh I'm not getting enough protein on a plant-based diet I gotta eat meat to get my protein mm. not the case with you you're still relatively cut are you still competitive athletically
2: well, I, I used to compete in a lot of sports. I mean, to be honest, when, w- sports for me is a hobby. I do it because I love it, and I do it yeah. because it's fun. So I never go in with a goal to co- compete specifically. I just go in to have fun. And I've been trying a lot of things over the years. Like I said, soccer was my big thing up until eighteen, nineteen, and after that, when I decided I'm not going to go professional, I decided you know life is too short to only do one sport. So I started doing other things. I started doing athletics, so sprinting, shot butt, javelin throw. Long jump, all that kind of stuff. The decathlon sports. Then I tried my hand at mountain climbing or rock climbing. I did some uh, martial arts, so jiu-jitsu, muay thai, wrestling, and uh, all the to- all the while I was doing quite a bit of weightlifting and stuff like that on the side. Yeah. Um, so I mean, t- to be honest, for me, it's it's uh, it's always been about fun rather than competing. Sure. But the thing I've noticed while on the plant based diet is I've been able to do more. Oh yeah. With less effort and i 've been able to like jump into competitions without even having prepared that well and right. still do pretty well in these competitions. i mean I became the Irish national uh, champion in in both wrestling and jiu jitsu for my weight class on, on, on it was obviously it 's the first level because I just started so it 's uh, white belts you know yeah. people who have only been training up to two years, but i've been training like six months or something so that was a lot of fun. I actually I went to my first, very first competition. I won all five fights and I got two hundred dollar prize at the end. So I was like, Bravo. okay, that's a Bravo. great, a great start. I, get- I might retire now just to keep my one hundred percent winning streak. Yeah, right. <laughs> Retires undefeated.
0: Well, wow. so that makes you a professional athlete by definition, <laughs> I right? I guess so. I guess that's so. That's pretty cool. Um, how long have you been plant based now?
2: Just over five years. So five- I passed the half a decade mark. There you yeah. go. And you're how old? 24.
0: Okay. So one of the big things when I talk to athletes that they talk about um, who are plant-based is that their inflammation levels come way down. Mm. Have you experienced that as well? Your recovery time is much quicker?
2: Absolutely. So one thing that's very easy to notice is the soreness. So I've tried a lot of new sports. I try a lot of new exercises. I change up my, my weightlifting. I do all these things that usually really kind of accentuate the soreness, if you will. And th- while I'm doing these things, I'm noticing a lot less soreness. So that's that's the first thing I noticed. The second thing is endurance. I stopped training endurance almost when I stopped doing soccer. Yeah, I was doing a lot less endurance work, yet I felt my endurance go up, which was also very funny because you'd expect as you train less endurance, you, your endurance will get worse. Right. Um, and then the the last thing is I actually did have some joint issues and things like that when I was a bit younger. At at 16, I actually went to doctor was diagnosed with osteochondritis which just means inflammation In the chest, of the cartilage
0: is that chest area or? so it can be chest area okay. it can
2: be elbow it can be pretty much any joint that where the cartilage gets inflamed right. right so um basically he said that you know if i was a baseball player or a tennis player my career would be over because it was on my elbow right so oh. so you can't really overuse it yeah but you know I thought, okay, I guess I'm just not going to be uh, an a- athlete that has to use his arms a lot. I'm just going to play soccer. It's okay. It's fine. But, you know, completely unknowingly to me when I went plant-based, this pain that I used to have, I used to have this huge clicking and sometimes my arm would lock and I could only walk around with my arm like this. Ooh. And um, it was actually quite bad, yeah. It's, yeah. I, I used to tell myself, it's fine, it's fine, you know, like the this mentality of where anything goes. But looking back, it was actually pretty bad. And when I went uh, plant-based, over 5 years ago i was training more at the gym and that was one of the things i had trouble with lifting weights when my elbow was was very sore right and after i went plant based this pain almost completely went away straight away and nowadays you know i'm doing handstands and uh, lifting weights and doing all these things that y- before i wouldn't be able to do because of my my elbow pain and and you know that's i'm ex- very very uh, extremely thankful for that because like i said it was completely by accident yeah. you know i just tried it out and yeah, we'll figure, you know, so I was very happy about that.
0: Uh and it Bodes well, you put a lot of your athletic endeavors up on YouTube like as we said your brother, is he's pretty big on there. But don't sell yourself short. I mean, you have how many followers on your YouTube channel?
2: YouTube is around 22,000 yeah. subscribers, I think. Yeah,
0: yeah. it's because you got that moneymaker face, right? <laughs>
2: well, let's put it that way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: Um, but so, so what got you started in that whole social arena? Because that is a booming industry, the mm-hmm. health and fitness online industry, and you're tapped well into that right now.
2: Yeah. So, I mean, part of it is obviously my brother because he started a lot earlier than me and he just got me introduced to the whole idea of social media. And I saw how well he was doing and how much fun he was having while doing it. Um, the other part of it for me actually was I was quite socially shy when I was younger and, and a, a bit like... Get out of town. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I was. it was kind of a challenge for me to get myself out there and put myself out there and get used to talking and, and filming myself in public and getting over some of my social fears, yeah. basically. And I viewed it as a kind of a self-development project where I would go around on the streets and just vlog, you know, with hundreds of people yeah. around, which, you know, before I would think is crazy. Like, everyone's going to be looking at me and everyone's going to be like, who the hell is this crazy guy? Yeah, right. You know, or... Yeah. Um, but what you realize when you do these things is most people will walk around and they will see you talking to your phone and they'll think, huh, that's a bit strange. And then they'll go back to their lives. Oh, yeah. You know, nobody really cares. No. So y- people have a tendency of really overestimating how much people care or how much they're going to judge you and all these kinds of things. And, and once you realize how how easy it is to do these things and how um, harmless it is, if you will, that you're doing something a bit different than everyone else, then it really teaches you a few lessons in terms of um, just – being free to express yourself in in situations that are very, you know, public or or in different ways than people are used to used to seeing. So that was one of the big things that got me into kind of trying out some vlogs and trying to put my stuff out there and not being afraid of really embarrassing myself right. or, or being like humiliated or anything like that, you know.
0: So what kind of stuff are you putting up there on these vlogs?
2: So so it's kind of everything from training to lifestyle to nutrition, days of eating, you know, just life in general. Uh, obviously, as a medical student, I don't have the time to post very often. So nowadays, I'm posting once a month. Well, you or don't so.
0: pull the phone out in class and just start vlogging right there, <laughs> upset the teacher? Come uh, on, man.
2: yeah, I'll be that obnoxious vegan. Huh? Yeah, right, <laughs> that guy. Yeah, no, unfortunately, I'm not there yet. You know, I do have some reservations, but um, yeah, so it's it's basically a combination of that, and then I try to post some scientific videos, nutrition videos, and kind of try to bust some of the myths around, you know, protein and and animal uh, cholesterol and testosterone and all this kind of stuff. So I try to kind of bring the evidence-based thinking into the social media environment rather than just kind of uh, continue spreading this misconception, misinformation that is so common in all these articles and bodybuilding websites and all these things. So kind of trying to get people to believe more in evidence and science rather than opinion really is as one of my focuses as well
0: real quick we mentioned your brother a couple of times but we haven't really said who he is so yeah. y- real real quick t- tell us a little bit about
2: him okay so my brother is john venus he is uh probably one of the bigger uh vegan fitness people on youtube right now at the moment i think he has three and twenty thousand subscribers i that's believe that's pretty good so yeah he he does a lot of Obviously, bodybuilding is is one of his main things. He doesn't compete again. He does it for himself. He does it for fun. He doesn't get on stage, but he does by uh, you know a huge margin, show that it's no problem to build muscle on a plant based diet. Yeah, right. Uh, and there are there are a lot of people. There are more and more people doing that nowadays as well. So it's you know it's not hard to see. But he he does a lot of training videos again, a lot of vlogs, uh, eating. His wife is actually a nutritionist and a personal trainer, so they work together. Uh, they have a website where they sell workout plans, meal plans, that kind of thing. So, yeah, he just really um, – it's funny thing about my brother, actually, is he was the most against veganism and the plant-based lifestyle when I turned vegan Wow! over five years ago. So it's just – for me, that's a lesson and something I want to tell other people as well is no matter how against the, the whole veganism thing or the whole lifestyle change – a person may seem to be initially don't give up on them right right because they might just become the biggest advocates out there sure. if you give them a chance you know sure, and well. that's certainly been the case for john who's now done so much for this movement you know since going vegan uh almost four years ago now i think yeah, yeah.
0: Man, you, you see now I'm thinking. You said his wife was a nutritionist. He's the big bodybuilder type. You're going to be a doctor. I think that you know if you slide into whatever it is that you're doing, you guys could open a practice and just do gangbusters over there. Yeah, because that, that would be a one-stop shop, man. That's
2: definitely crossed our minds. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So what is it that you want to do uh, after you graduate, wrap up, get your degree, and start yeah, practicing?
2: Yeah. So I mean. To be honest, I'm one of these people who have enjoyed most things in medicine. You know, a lot of people come into med school and they're like I'm going to be an orthopedic surgeon, I'm going to be a neurosurgeon, I'm going to be a gastroenterologist or whatever it is. But for me it was I kind of went into it just with a general int- uh, interest in biology and human physiology, and I've enjoyed most specialties. The the only thing that really gets to gets me more passionate about than than most of these other things though is definitely lifestyle preventative mm-hmm. medicine. And getting people healthy rather than just treating symptoms and and trying to keep the sickness under control, if you will. Right. So, the only places where I really see uh, myself having the the opportunity to really incorporate a lot of preventive medicine and lifestyle nutrition, this kind of thing, is probably either family medicine or public health or something along those lines. Yeah. So that's where I'm really looking at uh, at the moment right now. Yeah.
0: yeah. I was thinking general practitioner would be the place for that because yeah. you you would see such a wide swath of patients. Exactly. You know, yeah. uh, and that that's the place to start, you know, because then you could point them in the direction of mm. specialists who could really help them. And plus, how many times do people go to the doctor and doctor, what do I need to do? Well take these pills and then diet and exercise, mm. you know, but what is the diet? You know, maybe yeah. they hand you a little pamphlet that says, you know, tells you a little bit about the Mediterranean diet, but it's just a little bit. They don't yep. go in depth, but they can prescribe you a pill for a very specific reason mm. to help one specific area of the body. But the diet, man, yep. they prescribe it. It's so general. They don't even really know.
2: Yeah. And that's one of the, the most frustrating things for me during my uh, my journey through medical school is exactly this that you're talking about now with the diet, because- for a lot of conditions nowadays, especially the chronic conditions, which are the most common conditions in, in Western civilization today, are primarily lifestyle-related, and the, for the most part, is, that is diet-related, yeah. right? So there are other things that are good to do in your lifestyle, but diet is the main, the biggest contributor, if sure, you will. Sure, sure. And with a lot of things like diabetes, heart disease, where we actually, we're taught that this is a lifestyle disease, yet when we go to treatment... Lifestyle goes out the window. We don't talk about it. It's, yeah. it's statins, it's metformin, hypoglycemics, insulin, this kind of thing. So it's it's very frustrating to see how the cause is clearly lifestyle-related. It's clearly diet, and yet they're unwilling to talk about it when mm-hmm. it comes to treatment. And, and my, my belief is that It just comes down to industry, like so many other things. Because just like medical, you know, hospitals and and, and doctors need money for their work, medical schools also need some kind of funding. And the funding is going to come from industry. And that does, unfortunately, whether or not, you know, people are trying to say that we're not industry, um, we're not – sorry, how do you say it? We're not too –
0: Say it in Norwegian. Maybe the (laughs) words will come to you better.
2: yeah. Uh, I don't know if that will help too much. <laughs> I don't know how many Norwegians are listening. You have a lot of Norwegian followers.
0: <laughs> I have no idea. I would have to pull those stats, man.
2: Yeah. No, what I was trying to say is that uh we try to say that we're not too um affected by industry, right? Yeah. That we're going to do whatever's evidence-based and we're going to do whatever's be- best for patients. But regardless of that, there is definitely an industry influence on on medical schools and the curriculum that are going to be taught because whether it's directly or or there are f- more steps in between the industry and, and the school, there is definitely a link there. So I think at least the culture is changing where people are becoming more and more aware mm-hmm. of, of diet and lifestyle. So things are changing, but but slowly. Uh, and the reason, again, is there's, there's no profit behind feeding people broccoli and, and lentils and beans, you know, while there's a lot of profits to be made behind... Um, you know, statins and yeah. procedures and surgeries. And this is not to say that doctors are cynical and that we're trying to make money off of sick people. A lot of doctors actually believe that meat is healthy or that we need to eat fish. And I would we, say the know. majority of doctors. oh yeah, absolutely. They're not. They're not trying right. to screw us o- over yeah. on purpose. You yeah. know, they actually believe this themselves. And this is again because we don't. We're not taught this in medical school. Yeah. So the the evidence is there, but unless you go on your own time as a doctor and you read through the evidence. Outside of medical school and outside of your training, you're not going to find out about this stuff.
0: So where are you looking to practice, man? You've lived all over the world. You're in school in Ireland. But, uh, I mean, does that mean that's where you're going to set up practice or uh, Yeah, else so where?
2: that's, that's a, a great question. I don't really know the answer to it myself. I mean, I've been traveling around since I was a little baby. So to be honest, at this point, I don't really care too much where I end up. I mean, Wow,
0: look at you. To be in your 20s again. I love
2: it. <laughs> I mean like nowadays the world is so small wherever I end up I mean you can always visit family it's just a flight away you for know sure. so uh, yeah I just been, been I, I don't really have that connection where I'm like oh I'm I'm purely Norwegian or I'm right. Brazilian or I'm American I don't have that you know just because I've been moving around so for me it's it's more like I guess yeah I'm I'm an earthling you know yeah, I right. just uh, yeah. come from the, the planet earth you know
0: I love that man <laughs> I love that uh, when do you when do you finish up school
2: so, I have one year left, so okay. it'll be a class of 2019.
0: Okay, 2019. Hey, man, they might have a position open uh, upstairs. I know oh, that they're, they're I'll looking be looking out for, for that. Yeah, yeah I
2: mean, this is the best workplace I've ever seen, for sure. I oh, mean, yeah. it's, it's a luxury to be here. Everyone on being on the same page. It's really impressive, yeah. And the the work lunches. I mean, I've been so spoiled while I've been here. Oh, the
0: food here is oh, fantastic, yeah, isn't it? Oh, it's the best.
2: I was just telling everyone, you know, I've never been in a workplace where the the food at work is this healthy every single day. You oh know, yeah, it's great.
0: Oh yeah, no vending machines here. Yeah. You know, it's it's all healthy. Yeah, yeah. we have a a nice uh, plant based catering company that comes in here. Shout out D.C. Vegan if you're in the Washington, D.C. area. Uh, Real quick, before we wrap this up, your social media stuff, put yourself over. Where can people find you?
2: Okay, so I'm on YouTube and Instagram. So uh, YouTube is just Leo Venus, uh, Leo L-E-O, and then Venus like the planet Venus. And then Instagram is the same, Leo Venus underscore. Okay. So, uh, yeah, I I do do try to do a little bit more behind-the-scenes daily kind of vlogging style on Instagram because it's just... Uh, easier, more practical to quickly do while you're on the go rather than make a huge video and edit a lot of people don't really realize how many hours it takes to edit uh, youtube videos oh yeah so youtube is a little bit less active but i definitely do try to put out some quality content when i can but the instagram is definitely where i'm the most active all right cool all right
0: man well you got a couple follows here coming your way that is for sure so thank you thank you very much man this is uh this has been a real treat
2: Uh, it's been my pleasure thank you so much for having me
0: doing some exciting things here at the Physicians Committee, uh, studying nutrition, doing a little bit of research. And one of the studies that we have coming right around the corner is one on weight loss and metabolism. And so we have Dr. Hana over here with us today. She's going to tell us a little bit about this study. We're, we're looking for participants. So what is this particular study?
3: Uh, This study is about a dietary change and its effect on your metabolism, body weight, um, but also the body composition and the liver fat content. Uh, It's not only important to lose weight, but also uh, to make sure that your fat is distributed in the right way, that you don't have too much fat in your liver, for for example.
0: Mm, Interesting. You always hear about when it comes to weight, you always hear metabolism thrown in there. One of the excuses that uh, I used to throw when I was 420 pounds, was I have a slow metabolism. So maybe that's, that's kind of something that you guys are looking for. I, I don't really know. So why is it that you are doing the study?
3: Exactly. We are testing uh, the metabolism. We will test out if your metabolism is slow, and we will test out what a plant-based dietary change may do for you to boost it up.
0: Fascinating. Fascinating. Uh, and we also have with us is a nurse and the uh, clinical research specialist here at the Physicians Committee, Melissa Busta Rhymes, Put your hands where my eyes can see. Um, talk to me a little bit about this because you're also deeply involved in this. So what is the study plan here?
3: Yeah. So with this weight loss study, it's a 16-week intervention study that we're going to bring participants in. They're going to be randomized into one or two groups one group is going to be following a low-fat vegan diet, so no animal products. We're keeping oils to a minimum. And the other group is randomized into just the control group, so we need somebody to compare that diet group, to. Um, so they'll be coming in for these weekly classes, mm-hmm. uh, the vegans. They'll be getting this weekly support. We go on um, grocery shop tours. We do cooking demonstrations, taste testings. They're like a little support network um, so that they can stick to the diet, so that the, the data comes out legit.
0: And all of this is free because when you start talking about nutrition courses and grocery store tours and things of that nature, those kind of classes can be awfully expensive.
3: Yes, they get all of this free, all of the tests that Hannah mentioned with um, the calimetry hoods that they're doing, looking at your metabolism. This is all the results are given to you for free. You just have to grocery shop and buy your own buy your own groceries that's
0: fascinating and, and and we're looking for people here in the uh, washington dc area correct yes all right so let me ask you this uh hannah before we wrap this up a lot of people might be wondering now well that sounds like a lot of fun like we're getting a 16 week study we're getting a ton of education and it's free so who is it that you're looking for who qualifies for this
3: Uh, We're looking for people who are overweight, struggling with their body weight, who live in the D.C. area and are at least 18 years old. So if you qualify for the study, please feel free to call us at 855-STUDY-18. 855-788-3918.
0: Sounds like this is going to be an interesting study, and uh, I believe it begins relatively soon, so be dialing, as they say. Melissa, Dr. Kaliova, thank you very much.
3: Thank you, Chuck.
0: Well, I hope you
1: found today's program informative. And before we go, let me just share with you one quick tip. It's important to remember that it takes a long time for cancer to develop. We've learned that from cigarettes, that a person who quits smoking today is not out of the woods for another 10 years, 15 years, maybe even longer. It can take a long time. So when it comes to diet changes, we want to make sure we're changing our diet now to prevent cancer way down the road. And where that's most important is with children. Children are immortal. or So they think, so they act. And the foods that they are eating now can affect their risk of cancer down the road. When we look at colorectal cancer, it's actually increasing in young people because of all the bacon and sausage and hot dogs they're eating now. So now is the time to change for us and also for them. The investment will pay off hugely in the future. Um, And also, if you haven't done this yet, please go to iTunes and subscribe to the program. Give us a five-star rating so that other people will share your enthusiasm. I'm Dr. Neil Barnard. Thanks for listening to The Examiner.